0: Yes, as Mike said, we're reading from the book of Acts this morning, beginning at chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus had began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me, for John was baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, at this time, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud received him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, "'Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? "'This Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven,' will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven.
1: Uh, In um, 2018, Pitt Town uh, Anglican uh, Community Church, through Anglican Aid and through the Waterworks Project, uh, helped to raise $267,000 to provide clean water for drinking and sanitation... Uh, in needy African nations. Anglican Aid also allows us as a church to provide financial assistance in times of hardship such as natural disasters and and famine relief. Um, Today we have Dave Mansfield from Anglican Aid. So if I can ask Dave to come on up, I'll introduce Dave. Morning Dave. G'day Michael. You can have the lectern mic. Thank you. Tell us a bit about
2: yourself, Dave. There's not much to tell, really. I'm uh, about to retire, so I'm old and I'm tired. And and I have mixed feelings about retirement. But I'm going to retire this year. And so Anglican Aid is looking for a new CEO. That's something you could pray for, because whoever takes on that role has to clean up my mess, (laughs) apart from other things. I'm married to Helen. We've got three adult kids and we've got a bunch of grandkids. Do you want to know anything else?
1: Uh, no, that sounds pretty good. Okay. That sounds pretty good. Now, um, I know you're an author and you've got a whole range of bestsellers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, figured... they're,
2: they're all in my garage. <laughs> uh, no,
1: I've got one. So that's... Oh, there's one less in the garage. That's yeah. a pretty outstanding fact, so that makes yeah. you a bestseller in my book. <laughs> um, I thought I'd try and ask you a question as an icebreaker that you've never been asked before. Oh, yeah. uh, so when you're penning these thoughts down, what's your favourite letter to write? What makes it your own? What's special about it?
2: What's my favourite
1: letter to write?
2: Oh, my favourite letter of the alphabet yes. to write, Z. Um, uh, Z. Because it gets ten in Scrabble. <laughs> How many words can I think up with the letter Z? Sounds good to me. Zebra. Is zebra in the Bible? Sure. Oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure zebras went into the ark. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, Now, I've noticed over the years that many agencies that sort of provide emergency um, funding to people overseas that were once clearly identifying themselves as Christian organisations have kind of distanced themselves uh, from that. Um, Do you see this happening?
2: I do, and it's a great danger. Mm.
1: Yeah? Mm. Um, So how does Anglican Aid actually connect physical needs of people and spiritual needs?
2: Thank you for the question. At the heart of our work is a desire to see the next generation of leaders, Christian leaders, trained in uh, in countries like throughout Africa. Uh, and at the moment, we've been very involved in the last few years in helping develop the capacity of the George Whitfield College to be able to train men and women, not only for ministry in South Africa, but it's a college that has such a, a reputation now that there are there are denominational leaders, not only Anglican denominational leaders from uh, many parts of Africa, wanting to send their students to be trained at the George Whitfield College. That's a great encouragement to us and an answer to prayer. And uh, and I want to say, if there's any young people here who are thinking about training and you'd like to do something kind of out of left field, quite different to going to Moore College, go to the George Whitfield College in South Africa. That would be uh, a great experience. Australians have done that and, uh, and been much the richer for it. We have uh, Australian lecturers there, and so that's very exciting. If we can, if we can help, and many, many other people are in this space. We're just doing a little bit, and others are doing a little bit. If we can help train the next generation of Christian leadership in many of these countries, not only in Africa but in other places as well, then we can have great confidence that those Christian leaders will provide help and aid for their communities uh, and do so from a, a Christian world uh, world perspective, worldview perspective. Let me give you a very brief example of that. Um, We want to protect the rights of those who have no voice. And perhaps the most voiceless, the most voiceless people created in the image of God on the face of the earth is the unborn child. Now, it's only Christian leadership that will protect that voiceless person. Well, not only Christian leadership but only those who believe that that the unborn child in the womb has the same rights that you and me have. And so we we want aid delivered by people who understand their Bible and understand that men and women are created in the image of God and they have that dignity. Does that make sense?
1: I think it does, I think it does. And I think That's
2: just... just one example. I could go yeah. in a range of ways. Yeah. I could go beginning of life, I could go end of life.
1: Yeah, well, everything I read about Anglican Aid points and leads you straight back to the Bible. So I think any, uh, anything that we give financially um, and we, we give to Anglican Aid is a real investment in uh, not only people's needs but, but the kingdom itself. Mm. So thank you. Um, you're going to teach us about Acts chapter 1.
2: Oh, now? Now. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're going to sit down or are we going to sit down? You're not going to interview me about it? Mm -hmm. Okay. Very happy to do that. Acts chapter one. Let me start by telling you about my father. And um, my father, who would be 99 next Wednesday had he not died. But he died um, six years ago. My father was a POW on the Burma Railway. So that may mean something to some of you and little to others. But it was a very hard time in his life. Uh, For the four years that he was uh, a captive and a prisoner of war, he was in a a malarial fog. So he kind of was in and out of malaria for the entire four years. His body was was ulcerated. Um, He was emaciated. And some days he would go and work on the railway, walking on his hands and knees. That's how tough it was. My father in those days was also a smoker. And he's very grateful to God that he was, even though he gave up smoking when I was a teenager, and very grateful that he gave it up. Okay? So don't be offended by what I'm about to say. But he says in his memoirs, he recalls a time when they were on the River Kwai, and they were waiting for a barge to take them, and they had to wait a couple of days for a barge to take them from one campsite to another campsite to work on the railway. And he recalls buying some tobacco off some local farmers and being grateful for the fact that he smoked so that he could inhale the rich local tobacco and that would numb the pain of hunger, the pain of ulceration, the pain associated with malaria and so forth. And he said, most of the blokes didn't have any cigarette papers to be able to roll the smoke. But he was grateful that he took a Bible to the war with him. And he said, I smoked my way through most of the Old Testament and I nearly got to the Gospels. Not sure whether I smoked my way through the Gospels or not he said. I hope I haven't offended you by saying that. But what I want to point out here is that I think my father had a higher view of the Gospels than he had of any other part of the Bible. And I want you to have a high view of the entire Bible because it's all a part of the whole. Here in Acts chapter 1, the phrase the kingdom of God is used on at least two occasions, the kingdom. And also in verse 1 of chapter 1, the writer Luke, who is the author of Luke's Gospel and was a later companion of the Apostle Paul on his missionary journeys, Luke says, in my former book, Luke's Gospel... I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So there's a signal here that what we've got in the Acts of the Apostles, and you're going to begin to study it and you're going to hear talks on it from Sunday after Sunday, what we've got here by implication is what Jesus continued to do and teach. But by the time we get to the end of Acts chapter 1, by the time we get to verse 11, he's what we call ascended. He's left the earth, in a sense, and gone back to heaven. And he's at the right hand of the Father. But Luke is saying that everything we're going to read in the Acts of the Apostles is what Jesus continued to do and teach. How did he do that? Well, he did it, of course, through his eyewitnesses, which we'll learn about. And I'm going to make an even bigger point than that. Because the kingdom of God is mentioned here. At the end of verse 3, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. That's not new. At the beginning of Luke's gospel, at the beginning of his ministry, he goes into Galilee proclaiming The good news of the kingdom of God. And it wasn't even a new concept then. Because the idea of God's kingdom and God being king is something that we read about in the Old Testament. And we discover that Jesus is the king. He's the Messiah. He is the king of God's kingdom. So there's continuity here, and the disciples, even though they didn't get much, and if you don't get too much, don't, be, don't, don't despair. You'll, you'll pick stuff up as you go along and keep opening your Bible. Verse 6, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They knew that this was an Old Testament theme. However it worked out, they were unsure of that, but they knew it. So we're introduced in Acts chapter 1. We're introduced again... To the kingdom of God and to the king of God's kingdom and I'm going to make four points about the king of God's kingdom you ready for them they all start with the same letter it's been a bit of a stretch to get one of them to start with that letter but here we go the kingdom of God the king of God's kingdom is a reconciling king the king of God's kingdom is a reconciling king Jesus began to do and teach and then he continued to do and teach. The ministry of Jesus was and is all about reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sin against them and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. It's a big word, but we understand what it means. We get it, don't we? When our relationships go south, we want them to be fixed up. We want them to be healed. We want them to be restored. We want them to be, we want to be reconciled. And our relationship with God, which we treated as little as of little value... The relationship that we were created for is the relationship that Jesus came to restore, to reconcile us, to bring us back into a healed, forgiven, restored relationship with our creator. And so the ministry of Jesus, the kingdom of God is all about the king reconciling his people to himself. At the moment, in this this point of time in history, if you go back 25 years, to the day almost, you'll know or you may remember that South Africa had just voted in its first democratically elected president. 27th of April 1994, a man by the name of Nelson Mandela. And when many people watched on and thought that South Africa could have descended into a bloody civil war because of tribal conflict, not only black and white, but those black tribes as well, Khorsa and Zulu and some minor tribes, Nelson Mandela was used by God to bring about a remarkable level of reconciliation, not perfect, but a remarkable level of reconciliation in that country. And so a nation that we thought things could have gone very badly, turned out to go quite well. Four hours flight to the north at the same time in history, a Christian country, when I say a Christian country, 80 to 90% of the population, either Roman Catholic or Protestant, a supposedly Christian country descended into one of the most horrifying genocides that human history has ever seen in Rwanda a million people Tutsis and moderate Hutus were slaughtered within a hundred days in terms of number of deaths per day more deaths per day than the Holocaust I'm not saying it was worse than the Holocaust I don't know how you decide which is worst in these situations Today, 25 years later, South Africa, that had such a good beginning under Nelson Mandela, there are very worrying signs about its future. Today, Rwanda, that experienced that most horrific set of circumstances 25 years ago, has made a remarkable recovery. reconciliation is so important to the healing of relationships at every level of life the Archbishop of Rwanda is in Australia at the moment and uh, Helen and I had been hosting he and his wife he says that in Rwanda after the genocide when people were asked how they were able to go on and keep living people who had lost everything, people who had lost their livelihoods, people who had lost their homes, people who had lost their families and seen loved ones, entire families killed, would say, we have lost everything, we have nothing to give, we have nothing to give but the gift of forgiveness. God has given us that which is most precious to him. He's given up his only son so that we may receive forgiveness and be reconciled to our creator. The king of God's kingdom is a reconciling king. My hope, my prayer, my reason for coming out here today over and above any and everything else whether it's Anglican aid or whatever, is to urge you to make sure that you are reconciled to your Creator by trusting in what his Son has done for you, by dying in your place. He is a reconciling king, he is the risen king. The second thing I want to say. He has raised, been raised from the dead. If I can read again verse 3, After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Jesus Christ suffered and died, taking the penalty for human sin, taking the penalty that you and I deserve for our rebellion against God, and he came back to life again, and he is alive today. And so when he was with those disciples over those 40 days, appearing to them again and again, not as a ghost, saying to them, have you got anything to eat? Proving to them that he's got a digestive system. Don't want to get too personal and go any further than that. I did have a colonoscopy a few weeks ago, but let's not go there. Demonstrating to them that he had a hunger that needed to be satisfied asking one of his disciples who was doubting that it was really Jesus physically, bodily resurrected, put your finger in the wounds and see that I'm not a ghost. Jesus Christ has conquered death. He is alive today. The king of God's kingdom. Alive, empowering his people, empowering his people through his spirit. The Holy Spirit is mentioned three times in these 11 verses. Empowering his apostles to bear testimony to the fact that he rose from the dead, that he conquered death, bearing testimony to all that he did and taught so that he would continue through them to bring this great message of reconciliation to the world. Now, here's my third R, and it's a little clumsy. It doesn't flow as well as the others. But his people, firstly, his disciples, the 11, the 12, and the early church, were to testify... To the truth of this kingdom, of this reconciling king. Specifically to testify to the fact that they saw him put to death and that he's alive again. They were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. They were his representatives in the world. There's my word. God's people, starting with the first 11, were to represent this king as he continued to work through them, so that it was his work through the Spirit, through through them. And again, if I can go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is what Paul says. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself and giving us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador represents the one who sends him. An ambassador for Australia represents the Australian government. And the early church were ambassadors for Christ. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the mission is to continue to proclaim this kingdom, this king, this reconciling king. This crucified and risen King, we represent Him in every age, in every place, and so that means us here, Pitt Town, two thousand and nineteen. Means God's people in Rwanda today, South Africa. What sort of a representative for Jesus Christ? will we be if you're like me you'll probably think well i'm a pretty poor one i'd like to get better i'd like to be better at it representing jesus it's a it's a wonderful ideal how can we get better at representing him representing how he would think what he would say how he would act getting better at proclaiming the reality of his kingdom that he is king, that he is risen. Well, I was reading your news sheet this morning. Anyone read it yet? And I noticed that you have a course starting on Thursday morning on conversational Christianity to help you get better at sharing these wonderful truths about this reconciling risen king. And now some of you have got to be at work. I know that. It's put on during the daytime. I don't, get, I don't get that really. Is there a night course as well? Four o'clock tonight. Four o'clock tonight. Tonight. Gosh. There you go. So four o'clock today and nine o'clock on Thursdays. Okay. It's all happening. It's all happening here at Pitttown. If you think you need a refresher on how to represent Christ in the world how to echo the words that Jesus himself would echo if Jesus himself was in Pitt Town, here's an opportunity for you to get better at it. Four o'clock tonight and nine o'clock on Thursday morning. I'm not going to be there to mark the roll, but Greg is. And the last thing I want to say is that this reconciling risen king whom we are to represent is going to return. Verse 11 This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I don't exactly know how that's going to work, but I know it's going to work because that promise is as real as any other promise in the Bible. My Father met my mother before they went to war, before he went to war. And they courted and they fell in love and they promised to get married if and when he returned. Now, there was no guarantee in the case of my father. Many of his colleagues did not return. And during the four years that he was away, my mother only received two pieces of communication to give her some assurance that he was still alive. Two very brief pieces of communication from the Japanese War Office, which gave her hope that he would come home, that he would come back. And he did. I'm here. Jesus Christ, who has conquered death, jesus christ who offers reconciliation to the world will return and that is the promise and that is what we can be sure of so brothers and sisters as you begin this wonderful opportunity to work your way through the acts of the apostles and to see what jesus continued to do and teach Remember that he is the king of God's kingdom, a reconciling king, a risen king who has conquered death, a returning king, and we are to be his representatives. Amen.